Good morning. Welcome, Joy. Thank you for being a part of our service today. If you're online watching, uh, we know that you're not here, but we believe you're still here, which is odd to say, I guess, to a certain degree. But thank you for joining us no matter where here is, no matter how you are here. Thank you. It means a lot to us uh, as we prepare services and do what we do. How many of you know it's good to be blessed by God? Isn't it just good to just experience the goodness of God, the richness of God, the blessing of God? Hallelujah. Some of you maybe haven't quite got there yet, haven't, don't know exactly what. And that's honestly quite part of, part of what I want to share with you and the point that I'm trying to get to in this series. And I want to point out our graphic one more time now here or nowhere. Uh, and, and it's really kind of a play on words because it seems like sometimes God is nowhere. I can't feel him. I can't sense him. I don't know that he's here. I don't know what's going on. And, and last week we talked a little bit about Jacob who, and we'll talk about it some more for, for a few moments this morning. But it seemed like God was nowhere. And then suddenly it's the part of the resurrection story, the Easter story, this God who seemed to be nowhere nowhere suddenly was here. And we find out really through the word of God that not only was he nowhere, it seems like he's nowhere, but that he's always here. He is always here. He's an ever-present source in our times of trouble. And, and so how many of you have ever felt like you're in the middle of nowhere? How many of you felt like you're maybe on the edge of nowhere? I have really, really good news for you today. First of all, you're not in nowhere. Do you know that nowhere is actually a place? Actually, there's a couple of them. There's an island up in Canada. It's called Nowhere Island. <laughs> Apparently, there were a lot of fish that were caught there at one point. And uh, where are you fishing? Nowhere. <laughs> it's an island over there, but it was nowhere. <laughs> Said every fisherman everywhere. But there's a place. Well, actually, we could get in, in, in one of the vans here. We could drive about 15, 16 hours, and we could be in the middle of nowhere. I want to show you this video. Uh, uh, you might want to go there later today or tomorrow. If you've ever wondered how some folks started down the road to nowhere, well, it's often because they're on State Highway 146 on their way to beautiful Fort Cobb Lake or Fort Cobb State Park for some fishing, boating, or camping. Um, then they wind up going nowhere. This is nowhere where the sun shines bright on old glory, where the store clerks are friendly folks anxious to help you with whatever you need, where some fishing buddies can stop for some bait or a candy bar or maybe even breakfast. And this is the Nowhere Breakfast Club, or as some folks believe, the information center of the universe. If you want to know it, we'll come up with an answer. Is that right? What, so, okay, here's, here's a question. What's, what's the attraction to hanging around at Nowhere? Well, this is where all the good stuff is. Nowhere? Yes. <laughs> nowhere, Oklahoma. That, you can find more stuff here than you can anywhere. Kenneth Skaggs actually lives about 300 yards south of nowhere. When they ask me where I live, I tell them nowhere, and sometimes I get smart aleck responses. You know, like, tell me the truth. <laughs> His brother Emmett just comes for the food. I'm Jerry's biscuit tester. <laughs> Jerry is owner Jerry Howell, who's been going nowhere for 27 years, but it wasn't his idea in the first place. Uh, there was a couple of, from California came here and bought it from a guy named Benny Shanks, and uh, he called it Ben's Boathouse, and his wife kind of threw a fit, Ben moved from L.A. out here in the middle of the country, and uh, said, you brought me here to nowhere, and I don't like it one bit, you know, but... Uh, they stayed, and that's reading, uh, where the name comes from. So I name it Nowhere. So Jerry really bought something when he got Nowhere. 
People are always coming and going here. Most of the time they really need something, but lots of times they've come for the experience and a way to prove it. Well, they come in with t-shirts and stuff like that and a bumper sticker or something. So I have a little souvenir in the nowhere. And a lot of them take it back to their friends because they don't believe them. But believe me when I tell you that I have been to the middle of nowhere. Okay, so by my calculations, then the middle of nowhere is right about here. And don't think just because you're in the middle of nowhere that there's nothing to do. Well, here's the featured entertainment in nowhere. Uh, not the stick, the dog, Patches. Patches really loves this stick. Wore me out. Oh yeah, Patches would do this all day long, but I can't stay that long. After all, I was going somewhere when I got to nowhere in the first place. Uh, but that's a story for another time. In the meantime, from the middle of nowhere, just north of Fort Cobb, I'm Ron Stahl. There you go. You can be in nowhere in about 15, 16 hours. And uh, I was quite shocked. I think I need, a, I need one of those hats. Nowhere. There's a, well, never mind. I started, to, I started to break out into song, and people don't believe some of these things that I sing are songs, and they're just stuck in the corners of my mind at times that just want to come out, and it's a Beatles song called The Nowhere Man. Anybody ever heard it? All right, all the old people said amen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for sure, for sure. He's a real nowhere man sitting in his nowhere land. I can't remember the rest of it. Which is probably really watermelon water. Okay, all right. Let's. Meanwhile, meanwhile, back at the message. Because yeah, for the, those of you that are guests today, your first time here, this is normal. So here we go. Psalms chapter forty-six, verse one. And we're called joy. We have a lot of fun here. Uh, uh, Psalm forty-six, one says this: God is our refuge and our strength. Please remember this. God is our refuge, our dwelling place in difficult moments and times. God is our refuge. He alone is our strength. When I feel like I'm at the end of my strength, when I feel like I can't go any farther, I need to rely on God because he said, I will be your strength. He's an ever-present source in our time of trouble. Ever-present, mentioned this last week, I want to say it to you again, and perhaps if you're here for the first time hearing one of these messages, or if you're online for the first time, or you've just been out of the pocket for a little while, and you're, you might feel like, Pastor Brian's on week three, I feel like I'm coming into the movie at the middle or the end, I want to give you just a little bit of quick points that we talked about to sort of help build some layers to where I want to go today. And so, again, he says he is an ever-present help in our times of trouble. He's our, uh, an ever-present, and that is a characteristic that is reserved for God alone. It, it speaks to his omnipresence, that God is everywhere all the time. There is not one place that you can go to that, that God is not already there. God is everywhere all the time. And because he's everywhere every time, he is our ever-present source, ever-present source, ever present source in our time of trouble. And because he's our ever-present source in our time of trouble, verse 2 says, therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Pretty extreme circumstances that he's discussing here and talking about. And he says, we shouldn't be afraid because God is our ever-present source. He's everywhere all the time. And then verse 7 says this, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And that's kind of been my <clears throat> drill point, my, my point of emphasis the last two weeks, last week and this week, is really this idea of the God of Jacob. We often hear this phrase whenever 
something of a punch or power needed to or wanted to be added to whatever it was that God was saying or whatever it was that God was doing or when Israel or the different prophets and different people felt some times of trouble, they would appeal to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, the father of faith. He is the one to whom the promise and the covenant was made and it seemed it was impossible. It was impossible for him. It was impossible for his wife. They didn't have children, and yet God promised and said, I will make you the father of many nations. You will have as many descendants as the sand upon the shore and the stars in the sky. Abraham, I'm going to do that for you. And Abraham was like, wait a second, God, time out just a second. Do you realize that I'm almost 100 years old? My wife and I, we've never had kids. My wife is unable to conceive. God, you picked the wrong person. And God said, no, nah, I didn't. I got the right person. I have, a God, I have a person that knows that it's impossible, and they only, the only possibility is if they trust me. Oh, they had a child, and that child's name was Isaac. Isaac was the child of promise. Isaac was the child of the covenant. So there's Abraham, and there's Isaac, and then there's Jacob. Uh, Jacob's grandfather was Abraham. Jacob's father was Isaac, and now Jacob is in the line. And, and, and if you know anything at all about the Bible, if you've been in Sunday school, if you've you know, maybe heard a little bit about Jacob, I will say it like this, Jacob, Jacob is he's a mess he should have been disqualified many times the name Jacob actually means the name Jacob means trickster or heel snatcher which is just an odd thing to me or usurper the word usurper means this it is a person who takes a position of power or importance illegally or by force a person who takes a position of power authority but he does it in in in, in, in wrong ways. So he's a trickster. He's a heel snatcher. The word heel, the idea of heel snatcher, he was a fraternal twin. And, and his, in the womb, uh, his older brother Esau was about to come out. And when they came out of the womb together, he was hanging on to his heel. He, Jacob was hanging on to Esau's heel. He, in a sense, in, in, you know, the Bible scholars will tell you this, that, that, that there was a, actually the Bible says that there was a battle, that there was a fight. There was, uh, the whole time that she was pregnant, she's like, dear Lord, what the heck is going on? And she, <laughs> I think most pregnant women have wondered that same thing. But anyway, she inquired of the Lord, and it was said to her that there were two nations that were in her womb. Every, again, every pregnant, every lady that's ever been pregnant is like, Amen. I don't know if thought there was more than two nations in my, in my womb at times. And so, and so they, they were there fighting when, they gave, when she gave birth. Jacob was hanging on to the heel trying to, trying to be the first one out. Because in that culture and in that time, the eldest always got the greater blessing and the greater portion. And he was called a trickster because when Esau was out hunting one time, Esau was a, was a manly man. He liked to hunt. He liked to do all those other things. And Jacob wasn't a manly man. The Bible says that he was smooth-skinned. I'm not sure what is wrong with being smooth-skinned, but that's what he was. He wasn't a manly man. He liked to hang around the tents. He liked to cook. He liked to do all those different things. And so one time Esau was out hunting. He had gone up north to the cabin. He didn't have a lot of success. They didn't get anything. He came home, and he's literally, he's not hungry. He's hangry. He is hangry. He is so hungry. He's like, I'm willing to do anything. I'm about to die. And, and here comes Jacob. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do, Esau. And I think he's got the bowl of beans. He's just eating them right in front of him. Mm, these are so good. You want some? Yeah, I'm not going to give you any unless you give me your birthright. He's like, well, what good is my birthright? Birthright means, again, that's the inheritance. I mean, it's, it's a huge thing, a blessing. And he said, what good is my birthright if I'm going to die of starvation? I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal. Here you go. You can have my birthright. Just give me that bowl of beans. He ate the beans. And then a little while, well, several years later, with his mom's help, 
Again, it's in the Bible. Go read it. it. With his mom's help, Jacob begins to trick his father. It came time for his father Isaac to give the blessing to Esau. And, 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 and Isaac said, sorry. Isaac said, I, 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 I'm going to give you the blessing, Esau. It's time. My time is about up. I'm going to lay hands on you. I'm going to give you the blessing. But before I give you that, I want you to go out and go up north back to the cabin, kill something, bring it back, let's have a big feast, and then I'll give you the blessing. Now, his mom, uh, you know, Jacob's mom heard all of that and said, here's what we're going to do. Jacob, we're going to put some skins on you. We're going to put some goat skin on you. We're going to rough up, make your skin feel rough. We're going to make you kind of hairy because that's what your brother says and feels like. And, and, and Isaac, he was hard. He couldn't see very well. And so he goes in. They cook up a big meal. Jacob brings the food. Here you go, Dad. I've gone out. I've killed the beast. We've cooked it up. Let's have some food, and then you can lay your blessing on me. And, and Jacob, or Isaac says to Jacob, you sound like Jacob, but you feel like and you smell a little bit like, like Esau. And we find out that, that Isaac gave him the blessing. The problem was Esau was coming home at about the same time. When he found out what was going on, he, 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 just, he got upset. He's hangry again, hangrier. And he said, I'm going to kill you, Jacob. That's it. Jacob's mom says, all right, here you go. You better get out of here. You better get going. He goes on the run, literally on the run. She says, his mom says, I want you to go to Laban's house, my brother's house, your uncle's house. Never been there before. He doesn't really know who you are, but I want you to go there. And so Jacob, while he's on his way there, and, and, and again, this is the God of Jacob. Jacob was a trickster. Jacob was a deceiver. And we sort of ended here last week with this thought, this idea, God eventually changes Jacob's name to Israel. Some wonderful, wonderful things happen in Jacob's life. But it took him a while, excuse me, it took him a while to get there. I think we can all relate to that. That God wants to do wonderful things in our life, but sometimes it takes us a while to get there, doesn't it? It takes us a while to hear. It takes us a while to learn. It takes us a while to grow. It takes us a while to understand some of those things. And in that time, again, we see all through the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And my point is simply this. God decided, God declared, God wanted to be known as the God of Jacob. God wanted to be known as the God of the deceiver, the God of the usurper, the God of the heel snatcher. God doesn't wait until you're perfect to be called your God. God doesn't want to just be the God of the parts that are good, the parts that are nice, the parts that are kind. God wants to be God of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Aren't you glad for that? God wants to be your God. He wants to be my God. And a lot of times it's those thoughts that we have, those thoughts that we are incomplete. We put ourselves in categories of usable and unusable. Usable and unusable. And we base that on what's going on in our life. We base it on our weaknesses. We base it on the things that we can perceive and understand and our shortcomings and where we've messed up and where we've failed. But God doesn't judge that way. God doesn't look that way. And God doesn't call that way. And God doesn't build that way. His ways are different. And so God wanted to be called the God of Jacob. So Jacob's on the run. He crosses the Jordan River, goes to a land. He doesn't know where he's at. He's, he, he, it's just a certain place that he goes to. He's tired. He rests for the night. He lays down. He goes to sleep. And while he's sleeping, God gives him a dream. And in that dream, God begins to make promises to him. And when you read that, read that you, you, you begin to understand that the promises that God was making to Jacob were the same ones that he made to Abraham and Isaac. He said, I'm going to multiply your seed. I'm going to cause you to be a great land right here where your head is laying right now. All of this is going to happen for you. And then we read this in verse 16. 
When Jacob, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. It seemed like God was nowhere. I was in the middle of nowhere. I was on the run. I, I had no sense of God or anything else, and yet I have now discovered that God is in this place right here. I, I've experienced something that it is undeniable. The next verse says this. He was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Think about this. This is the house, this place right here. It's the house of God. It's, it's the very gate. It's like the doorway to heaven. Right here in this place. He said, it isn't just that God was here. This is God's house. This is a place that God lives in. And he set a stone there and he anointed it with oil. It was a place to remember that God appeared, that this is God's house, that this is God's dwelling place. And the word Bethel, the name Bethel actually means house of God. And so while he's having this dream and all of these things are happening, he, he has this vision of all the things that God is going to do with him. And he goes from having a vision and an experience to making now a vow to God. It's kind of a deal, I think. It's like, let's, we've probably all done this. God, if you do this, if you help me here, if you help me there, then I promise I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. If you've never done that, you know, God bless you. You've probably been perfect your entire life, but I found myself there a time or two. God, if you just please help me. I know I was stupid, but please help me in my stupidity. And, and a lot of times he did. A lot of times he said, nah, you're going to learn a lesson. All right, anyway, verse 20. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, did I read verse 15? Nope, go back to verse 15. I apologize, because this is at the very end of the dream, and this is so important. Good thing. Thank you for reminding me of that, Pastor Tommy. Verse 15, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring, back to, bring you back to this land. I will not leave you. Say, I will not leave you. Not Try that again. I will not leave you. God said, I'm not going to leave you. God said to Jacob at the end of the dream, not going to leave you. He said, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. The whole thing about Abraham and Isaac and the blessing that was going to come on him. Again, verse 15, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'll watch over you. Wherever you go, I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you. Jacob wakes up and says, whew, man, this is the place of God. This is the house of God. God lives here. This is awesome. And so now he makes the vow, and in verse 20, he says this, Jacob made a vow to God saying, if God be with me. Now, what did God say? Did God not say, I will be with you? Did God not say that I'll watch over you, that I'm not going to leave you until every one of the promises that I have made to you have been fulfilled? Did God not say that? And how was the vow or the promise or the let's make a deal with God? How did Jacob start that? He said this. Jacob made a vow saying, if God, if God, if God, if God will be with me. I think that's you and me. Because we have 66 volumes of the exceeding great and preciouses precious promises of the word of God. The ones that the apostle Paul said are yes and amen because of the blood of Christ that was spilled on Calvary's cross. Because of a new covenant that was made as a result of that death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. God has made to us promises. And I think that a lot of our lifetime we spend asking God for things and wondering about things that God has said, I'm all, I've done this to you, for you. I've brought this to you. This is for you. You are my child. 
I've given to you access to the peace of God that rules and reigns. I've given you joy that nobody can take away from you. That's the promises of God. And we're asking, oh God, I just wish, I don't understand why I'm so discouraged. I just wish I had more happiness. Because you're looking for the wrong thing. Happiness is dependent upon what's going on in your life, but joy is dependent upon what God's done in your life and who God is. And if you don't have that understanding, that foundation, you're going to wonder, it's going to seem like God isn't here, that God is nowhere to be found, and yet God is the God who says, I'm not nowhere, I'm right here. He goes on and he says again, Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey that I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. God, if you do this, this, and this, then I'm going to serve you. Then I'm going to set up the house of God. Verse 22, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And and of all that you give me, I will give to you a tenth. And so he's basically saying, all right, God, I've had this dream. This is pretty cool. And if you do all those things, I know you promised it, but if you do all those things, then I'm going to serve you. Then I'm going to give my life to you. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to be so committed. I'm even going to give you some of my stuff. I'm going to give you some of my money. I'm going to give you some of whatever, of all of my life. So if I was teaching about Jacob, I would go a little bit of a different direction, but I'm not necessarily teaching about Jacob. I want to give you Jacob's a bit, bits and pieces of Jacob's story to help you understand or to show you something else, because I think that it's vital to, to our understanding and our walk as a Christian. And so when this happens or after this happens, he's, remember, he's on the run. Esau wants to kill him. He's estranged from his family. He goes to his uncle Laban's house. And, and essentially, from this point, there's about 21 years that his, uh, of his life that pass. He's going to live about 21 years. He's going to experience some, some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful moments. He's also going to experience some extremely deep, full, deep and painful things. He's going to have some great victories, and he's going to have some great upsets. He's going to have some great battles, and he's going to have some great blessings. A lot of things are going to happen to Jacob at this particular point and juncture of his life. And he begins to learn some things, he begins to understand some things, and he begins to experience some things. And then he has another encounter with God. And in Genesis chapter 35 and in verse 1, it says this, and this is after another encounter with God where he wrestles with, God, with a man. We understand it to be Jesus and his hip goes out of joint and all that stuff and all those things happen. Verse chapter 35 and verse 1, then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel. That is the house of God. That's where he was before. Go back to where you first encountered me, basically, is what he was saying. Go back or go up to Bethel and settle there. I want you to, I want you to set up shop there. I want you to begin to grow there. I want you to begin to possess the land. And he said, and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. Again, 21, roughly 20, actually some scholars say 21 years, other scholars say 40 years. Regardless, there was a, a distance, a space of time that was in there that a lot of things transpired in his life. And now God says, I want you to go back to that place where you first met me. That first place where you had the aha moment that I didn't even know it. God was here. I wasn't even aware of it. He was here the whole time. So he goes back to the people that he's with at this time. Shared this last week, but at this time, actually, <laughs> let me just say this. The first time he crossed the Jacob River, uh, uh, when, uh, Jacob, the Jordan River, when he was uh, running away from Esau. He'd gotten the blessing, got the birthright. He got all these wonderful, wonderful things. He never got to enjoy it. 
He was on the run. The only thing he got from that whole thing was a stick, his staff, and that's all he had. We read the scripture last week where, where Jacob said, the first time I went across this Jordan River, I had only a staff in my hand. But now that I'm going back to Bethel again, I've become two camps. I've become two armies. I, I've, he, he was incredibly blessed, incredibly wealthy. He had flocks and herds and all kinds of great things that were going on. And so he tells all of these people, God has spoken to me. We're going back to Bethel. We're going back to the place that God first appeared to me. Verse 3. He said, then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I've gone. Now, I want to linger on that for just a moment. He's been with me wherever I went. He's been with me the whole time. He's been with me everywhere. I thought that Bethel was a place. I thought that it was God's house. I thought it was that gate. I thought it was right there where I set up a rock. That's where I thought the presence of God was. But I've experienced some things. I've went through some things. I've endured some things. I've had tremendous blessing and tremendous pain in my life. And I recognize now that God was with me here. And God was with me here. And God was with me here. And God was with me here. God's been with me the whole time. And so when Jacob met God the first time, Bethel was a place. But now, this second time, he realizes that Bethel isn't just a place, it is a person. And that the presence of God, the place of God, is portable. That God will go where you go. And it isn't so much that God's just appearing, that God is just there. It's that God was there all the time, and your eyes are open to it. You've experienced something that you know that God is or was in this place, that God is with you no matter where you go, that God is with you no matter what you experience, that God is with you even when you've been in the wrong, even when you've been the trickster, God is still there. God is still saying, I will be gracious to you. I will help you if you will turn from the ways that aren't pleasant or aren't right and aren't good and turn towards me, turn away from what you're doing and turn towards me, then I will rescue you and I will take care of you and I will bring blessing into your life. That's who God is. That's why I said earlier to you that there's a big difference. I think that in our Christian understanding, in our Christian life, in our church-going experience, we sort of embrace the idea, we sort of nod with our head, yeah, I suppose that's right, that God is everywhere. If we believe that God is all-powerful and almighty, then yeah, he's probably everywhere. But there's a big difference between believing that God is everywhere and that God is here. There's a big difference. Believing that God is out there, believing that God is with Pastor Tim and Teresa because they're special and they're powerful and, and, and they pray really, really good and God likes them more than he likes me. And I can see that God is probably with Gordy, but I'm not sure he's going to be with me. He can be everywhere, not so sure he's going to be with me. And this God who has promised like he did to Jacob that I'm going to be with you until I fulfill every promise. I'm not backing away. I'm not backing off. That God is there in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of our turmoil, in the midst of our wrongness, if you will. He's promised that he would be there. You see, God didn't show up at Bethel when Jacob got there. God was already there. And God didn't show up the second time or the third time or the other times that he needed help. God was already there. That's the aha that Jacob had 21 years later when he realized that God said, I want you to go back to the place that we met. Wow, God... You're not at a place. You've been with me. 
the whole time. You know, it, actually, I was thinking about this. <laughs> I should maybe preach this at Christmas time because I think of the whole thing. You know, his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. I believe that that has been God's desire since the very beginning, that God has wanted to make his abode. He wanted to live with. He wanted to be with his precious creation, humanity. And we understand that sin is what separated and that it was the coming of Jesus. He is Emmanuel. God made flesh. God dwelt among us. And then the shepherds who were kind of like in the middle of nowhere, and they were nowhere people. The song Nowhere Man, it could have been Nowhere Shepherd. Because they were, they were, they were nowhere. Nobody liked shepherds except other shepherds. That's why they're out in the fields. Nobody wanted to be around them. They were like, they were the bottom rung. And yet God appeared to them. Angels filled the sky. You're highly favored. You're blessed. You get to be in on this whole thing, the birth, God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And so this God that seems like he's nowhere, this God that I can't feel, this God that I can't sense, this God, I, I don't get it. I don't know why. I don't know what. And yet this God that feels like he's nowhere says, I'm going to be here. I'm here right now. He, I, I am now here. I'm here. I'm here. There's a couple of, uh, of instances I want to read to you just to kind of maybe help us see something. In 2 Kings chapter 6, battles that were going on, and I try to not go through the whole story, but essentially the prophet always knew when the kings were going to attack, and the prophet, God would reveal to the prophet uh, uh, certain plans, and he would tell the king, go set, go get your army, set ambushments, and so when the enemy came to attack, they were already in position to, to, to thwart the enemy, and the king was like, man, I can't get this, I don't understand, it seems like no matter what I do, God, you know, it seems like they, they just always know what I'm going to do. Somebody says, hey, there's a prophet in Israel. And God speaks to him, and God tells him things. And every time you make a plan, God tells him what the plan is. And so they say, well, instead of going for the army, let's go for the prophet. And so one morning, uh, the, the prophet's servant gets up. He walks outside, and he looks, and, and they're surrounded by enemies all around them. And I mean, like 5,000, 10,000, 15, 25, 30, all the way around, They're surrounded. In, in 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 14, this is the, the opposing king. He sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. And they went by night and they surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up and he went out early the next morning, here's the servant, he's, uh, uh, the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what are we going to do? He's a smart man. Well, what do we do? The servant asked, and then don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those are with us, those who are with us, are more than those who are with them. Now, I'm just a normal guy, probably like most of you. I know some of you might disagree with that. I am normal most of the time. But so are you at times abnormal. Amen? If you can't say amen, say oh me. Or look at the person next to say he's talking about you. <laughs> I think we're normal sometimes. Other times, other people are abnormal. So anyway, regardless... I think that if I was the servant of the prophet and I walked outside and I saw that I'm surrounded by a great army and there's no hope and I said to the prophet, hey, we got a problem here. We better do something about this. And the prophet said, don't worry about it. Don't worry. There's more with us than with them. We'd be like, okay, Mr. Prophet, you've been out in the sun too long. You need to get hydrated. Something isn't right. Something's not right. Because I count one, you, two, me, 
5,000, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, 25,000, 30,000, 35,000, 40,000, 45,000. We're in trouble. God, where are you? I'm surrounded by my enemy and I need some help. Verse 17, Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Those, those angelic forces did not get there when Elisha prayed. They were there the whole time. And the God that seemed like he was nowhere was now here because his eyes were opened and he saw. It is why Paul prayed in the book of Ephesians that he said, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be opened, flooded with light, that you would know or see what is the hope of the calling of the, uh, of the, uh, the glory of God. In the book of Luke chapter 5, ministry of Jesus, it says it happened on a certain day as he, Jesus, was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by. They had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. Notice this, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Get the picture. All the religious elite were in the room. They'd heard a lot of stories about Jesus, and they, didn't, they weren't necessarily believers. In fact, they were doubters. They were kind of like, what in the heck is going on with this guy? We're going to see what this is. And, and generally, they were there to try to trick Jesus into saying something or doing something so that they could accuse him of something. And so again, the power of the Lord was present. It was there to heal them. And then behold... Behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay, him be and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, a lot of people there, power, power of the Lord is there, it's, it's, it's power to heal. A lot of people are in the room, they can't get in the room. And so when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and they let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. I don't know if I was like, man, hey, that's my house. Quit ripping it up kind of thing. Verse 20. And when he saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now this upset the religious elite. This is exactly what they wanted. They wanted some way that they could accuse Jesus of something. And so when they heard Jesus forgive sin, verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and he said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk, but that you may know that, I have, that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, take up your bed and go to your house. Now, the power of the Lord was present to heal. By this account, we don't know for sure, but by this account, we're not giving a lot, given a lot of detail about everybody else other than we know that there were religious elites there and there were a lot of other people that were there. The power of the Lord was present and the power of the Lord, that particular manifestation of God, it was a manifestation or an, or an anointing to bring healing. And yet by this account, we understand that nobody in that room got healed. Not one person, even though God's presence was there to bring healing. Except for one who had four friends that encouraged them and got him into position. And Jesus said this. He didn't say, I've, I have pity on you. He didn't say, you know what, because you tore the guy's house apart. He didn't say any of those things. He said, your faith 
It was your faith. It was your believing that activated the power of God that was already here. And I find over and over and over again, it's why I stressed to you that God said to Jacob, I'm going to be with you. In fact, I'm going to be with you until I fulfill every promise of your life. And then later, Jacob, like us, God, if you will be with me. And I don't know if God was like, good grief, I just told you I would. I mean, have we ever felt that way when somebody, we've already, every guy in the room that's married probably said, I told you already I was going to do that. Now, unfortunately, we're not like God because our wife has experience. Your wife, not mine. Your wife's. No, my wife has experience too. I know you said you were going to do it, but where you haven't done it. Dang it, you're right. You're right. God's not that way. He's not a man that he would lie. His arm is not shortened that it cannot save. His ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. This God that at times feels like he's nowhere has said, I'll be here. God told Jacob, I will be with you until I fulfill every promise. I will be with you until, until everything that I have said to you comes to pass. And Jacob asked, God, if you be with me. And I think that's okay. I think that's okay to ask that question sometimes. I think it is okay. I know in my life now at 62, almost 63, I, I feel a little bit like the psalmist who said, I, I, I've been young and I've been old. He didn't say this, but I'd say this way. I've been young and I've been old, and I found that young is better. <laughs> I've been young and I've been old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed left begging bread. There were moments and times that it seemed like God was slow, that it seemed like God wasn't on time, that it seemed like I was going to die, or it seemed like something was going to destroy us. And it was in those moments that when I turned to him, in those moments when I said, God, I can't do this by myself. I can't do this alone. And there were times where I had the enemy. I had thoughts and I had feelings like, well, you screwed up and you messed up and you said this and you didn't do that and all of the other things. And because of those things, God's not going to bless you. But remember, he's the God of Jacob. He's the God of the, the people that don't always have everything together. And if we're quick to repent, if we're quick to turn to him, he is the God that fulfill his promise and his word to you and to me. James chapter 4 and verse 8 is a wonderful, wonderful principle. Draw near to God. And what's the promise? He'll draw near to you. You see, God took the first step at Calvary's cross. God took the first step there. Now all he says, I want you to turn to me. Come to me book of Hebrews says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace so that we can find help in our time of need, help in our time of trouble. And yet it is guilt, it is shame, it is, it is sometimes unbelief, sometimes it's just a lack of understanding. We have religious tradition that has told us that unless you're this, then God won't do that. God is a God who says, come to me. Come to me if you're tired. Come to me if you feel burdened. Find out that my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me with your pain. Come to me with your sorrow. Come to me with the greatest moments of your life and come to me with the moments that it seems like I don't even exist but believe. And if you'll draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. And I have found this out with God that while he's faithful, he's not always instant. He's not always like, you know, settling up on Friday because a lot of times there's things he wants us to learn he wants us to know that he's good 
He wants us to understand that God's process in our life sometimes needs to run its course. Not necessarily the God of instant answers, but he is the God that does answer. So would you please bow your heads with me for just a moment? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we believe you're here. We don't just believe that you're everywhere. We believe you're right here. And Lord, I know that there are people that are hurting in this room this morning. I know that there are people who do not feel worthy this morning. I know that there are people, all of us, to a certain degree, would be able to say, God, we have fallen so far short of your mercy, your grace, and your love. There are so many moments in our life that we are not proud. There are so many things that we have done that we are reminded about constantly from our adversary, the devil. It makes us feel like we just will never measure up, but yet, God, we surrender to you. We ask you to help. We ask you to have your way in our life. We didn't come to negotiate with you for a better life. We didn't come to figure out how we can just have stuff. But, God, we've come to you today recognizing you're the source, recognizing you're the life, recognizing that you're the way. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, and if you're here and you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord, your Savior, simple, simple process of believing. Jesus said that unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Entrance to the kingdom of heaven is not based on works. It is not based on the church that you go to or the faith that you were raised in. It is based on the faith of your heart, a decision that you make. Romans 10 says, if we simply believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with our mouth that he is Lord, then we will be saved. That's how faith is released. We believe and we speak. So if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord, you've never been, as Jesus said, born again and you would like to, I would like to lead you in this prayer. Those of you that are online, if you've never asked Jesus into your life, pray this prayer with me. Let's, Let's just all pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father. I come to you today in Jesus' name. I believe that you died for me, that you're alive today. And I confess today, Jesus, I trust you. You're more than enough for every challenge of my life. And I believe that you'll forgive my sin. Give me a brand new life on the inside. I I believe and promise today, I walk with you, I live for you, in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for this congregation of men and women. I pray a blessing upon them, that you would bless them when they come in. You'd bless them when they go out. You would go before them. You'd exalt valleys, make mountains low, cause every crooked place in front of them to be made straight. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that wherever they go, you go. And actually, wherever they go, you've already been there to pave the way, to straighten the way. And so, Father, we, we just rest in you. We relax in you because you're our source, you're our strength, and you're our life. And we give you praise, honor, and glory in this house. And everybody said... Amen. God bless you. Joy Christian Center.